want to welcome you this morning, and I want to share with you an experience I had a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning where I was just here and walking around the church property, just praying, and I was a little down because of just missing the privilege of getting to be together as a church family, and and I, and I noticed that tree that we planted uh, last year at our 10th anniversary celebration, and I'll confess to you, there was a moment last year after we'd planted that tree where kind of went into winter pretty soon, and it, it looked for a while like it was just a, a stick stuck in the ground, and you kind of wondered, is this thing going to make it? And as I was walking around our church property, just, just praying for our church family, the, that tree, just as I saw it, was just this instant reminder to me as it's just thriving and it's growing that that there's this thing that the Lord continues to do in our life, even when we forget it. And that is that he's at work inside of us. He's strengthening us. You you may have heard of the, the research that was done several years ago, back in the early 90s, called the Biosphere 2. And what they did in Arizona is they, they built these massive buildings. And in order to do a number of different research projects where they'd isolate people and uh, build unique ecosystems inside some of it to prepare for maybe a mission to Mars. And, and in this process, what they did was they had all kinds of unique ecosystems and then they, they planted plants and they stuck individuals inside there to do research. It was a scientific exploration really for two years and at least the first round. And one of the things that came out of that that was so fascinating is that they found out that the trees that were planted in there grew really fast. In fact, they looked beautiful for a while, but then over time, they, they ended up just, just falling over. They, they weren't strong at all. They, they ended up collapsing. They were almost useless for the experiment that they, but what they realized was that inside of that biosphere, there was no wind. And so when God invented trees, one of the things that he invented them to be able to do is to withstand the wind and the storm that's around them. That that's a part of the very process of them becoming viable. And I can't help but think today, as we, each one of us, are under pressure, that, that I want to remind you this morning, as we pray together, as we kick off this service together, that, that the Lord designed you and I to be people who can withstand very difficult things. In fact, some of that process makes us stronger when we're under his care. And this morning, I want to ask you to join me in your living room, in your homes, on your phones, that, that you just bow your head together with me. And I just want to take a few minutes to just ask that the Lord would remind you of his faithfulness, to remind you that these things that you've been going through, some of you have shared with me some of the deep pressure that you feel in your life right now, the tension, the the fear, the anxiety, the, the pain. And, and I want to remind you that the Lord hasn't forgotten you. Also, that he's weeping with you. But also, in the midst of that time period, the Lord can be doing something so important inside of us that he has equipped us to have the strength to be able to make it to tomorrow. And so let's pray together and let's ask that the Lord would do that in our lives. Lord, we accept that in our church family and those who've chosen to log on today, that there are some that are very afraid, that are hurting, that are struggling, that, that at this stage in their life, they are nothing but afraid. 
And I just pray right now that your peace that surpasses our circumstances would overwhelm them. I pray that you would remind them that you have designed each one of us with the resiliency to be able to experience a lot of pain and yet recover from it. And I pray that there would be glimpses like this tree for me, that there was just this glimpse of a reminder. It felt like you were just whispering to me, like, buddy, we're, we're good. We're going we're gonna to move forward. We're, we've got a plan. There's something that I wanted to do that, that even the symbolism of 10 years of the history of Hope Church, that has not been an easy 10 years. That the symbolism of that tree looking forward to the next decade, Lord, that we, we can look back and we can say that some of that pain has equipped us for what's next. So today, Lord, as we turn our hearts to your word, I thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that you give us the privilege to be able to know how to take the next right step in our lives. And I pray that this morning that we would be people who take you at your word, that, that today your voice would be clear for us. And as we watch individuals that went before us, that that allowed themselves to have the right expectations of what life was going to be like. And in those right expectations, they realized that they had the strength to not only survive, but that they had the strength to ask you, like I'm going to ask you today, for us to be bold about our faith. That we would have the strength to be able to say that we know that our God is faithful and he will sustain us. So this morning we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your provision. We ask that you would forgive us for focusing at times on what we don't have and forgetting to honor you for what we do have. We thank you today for your provision, your blessing, your goodness. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to prove yourself faithful that we would be people that know how to rejoice in your strength, even when we're painfully aware of our weakness. Be glorified in this service. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. We've been going through a series that's titled Unstoppable. And this morning we're going to see the unstoppable work of the Lord as he's working through a group of individuals that really ran into opposition. And in the context, if you had the privilege of joining us last week, we talked about this persecution that started to come on the early church where they were warned by people who they deeply respected to be silent about the message of the gospel. There's this miracle of man who'd been lame from birth, 40 years old. He ends up going through this miraculous healing and he's standing beside them. And the, the individuals that are not sure about what to do with these men have decided that the best thing to do is to try to silence them. And, and what we saw last week is that, that they were overwhelmed by the, the reality that they had the privilege of declaring the truth to those who desperately needed it and they could not be silenced. And so here, as we pick up where we left off last week in Acts chapter four, beginning in verse 23, what we're gonna wanna come into is a scenario where if I put myself in, my, in their shoes, if I'm imagining what it would be like if there were respected people that surrounded the church that said, 
that, that you have to be silent about the message of the gospel. That they said you, you can't declare the message of truth. And, and afterwards, you wonder how would we react? Would we be embarrassed? Would we be ashamed? Would we be frightened for our jobs? Would we, would we go and would we hide? Would it lead us to depression? Would we, would we pray that God would strike these people who are hindering us down? Who, who knows what we would pray? But, but I want you to watch with me as we study God's word together, how these faithful believers responded. And it's going to end up today as we study this together. We're going to see that they responded with prayer. They believe something that's a kind of at the epicenter of this message this morning. And that is that we are better together. We're better together, first of all, obviously with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he's, he is the anchor for us, we can accomplish what we're going to see them do is, is anything. And, and then we're also better together when we're in community. We've been reminded of that in the season that we've been going through. We desperately need one another. And, and when they unify together, what we see happening is that at the end of this, there's this declaration that they're praying to the Lord, not only for strength, but they're really praying to him for boldness, to have the ability to go public even more with their faith after they had been warned that they needed to be quiet. And that kind of faith comes from something that could only be understood as the indwelling presence of God within them. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they're, they're telling these guys, they told us to be quiet. They, they held us overnight. It would have been shocking. And then it said, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. The, the tone of this, and we'll study this more together, is that they, they end up actually praising the Lord together. They, they tell a story of the history of the church, even going back to a messianic psalm given by King David. That's going to remind them of their heritage, that we come from a long line of people who had been persecuted, but that in that persecution, it did not squelch their strength. Like that tree, it actually makes them stronger. And we see this example in scripture. So the idea that you and I are stronger together, especially when we're tethered together to the Lord, that we're stronger together when we're tethered together with one another, it reminds us of what it means for us to be in community. First community with God, then community with one another. Did you notice in the text those words? It says that they immediately connected together with their friends. The church was growing so fast that this, these were new acquaintances in some cases that were just because of the, the work that God had done in their life as the church is growing. So there's these, these, these individuals that have gone from being people who they didn't know to now friends. And then it says that in verse 24, that they're together singing with their voices to God. It's essential for us to understand how important it is for us to be tethered together. Biblically, that, that term is koinonia. It is, it is a definition of something that is a longing inside of us to know and to be known, to enter into burden-bearing fellowship. And here, these disciples, as they're growing in the early church, they recognize the need to be together. So, so they experience this pressure 
And instead of it spreading them out and isolating themselves, what it did was it drew them together. As we've watched the events of these last few months play out, we've recognized the pain of being isolated. And, and the, the image that always comes to my mind when I think of isolation is the image of the old nature channels where they have the herd of zebras and, and the, the voiceover gentlemen, their voices says that, that, oh, notice the zebra that's isolated from the pack. That, and then you see the, the predator, the lion that's coming from the distance and it's ready to attack. But it, it, it rarely or never goes after those that are in the herd, but it goes after the ones that are isolated. I want to remind you that the deceiver in scripture has been called, he's been described as a lion that's seeking whom he can devour. And here, I believe he wants to see us isolated. He wants us to be separated from those who we can call friends. And I can guess that some of you are hearing me say this and you're saying, Sean, right now I am so isolated in my life. No one cares enough about me to pursue me. And I want to speak against that this morning. I want to just share with you in my own life, one of the things that I learned really early on is that I desperately need people in my life. But I also learned a lesson that was essential for me. And that was, I couldn't wait for someone to pursue me. Instead, what I've decided to do in my life over the last 40 or so years is that I've decided to just pursue people and ask them, will you pour into my life? Will you be a part of my life? And I'll be honest that some of them ignore me. Some of them have chosen to say, no, I'm too busy. But, but there have been others, and I could just go through a list if we had time of, of men and individuals who've chosen to just say, I'm going to pour into your life. I'm going to be a part of your life. And I look back at that in my own life and I say that part of that was because I decided that it was so important for me that it was worth pursuing in my life. And I want to challenge you right now as you maybe feel isolated today to stop waiting for someone to pursue you. But to begin praying, Lord, who do you want me to pursue in my life? What does true friendship look like here? I think that this example in the book of Acts is that it was burden bearing fellowship that's based on their faith. And it's going to be something that is a, is a foundational, uh, powerful opportunity for them to grow together. They, they stuck together in this. They, they are able to see strength come from them being connected together. So let's return back to Acts chapter four and let's pick back up in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever, whatever your hand and your plan had presented to take place. So, so the Lord inspires these individuals to quote scripture in the midst of crisis. And the scripture that they quote talks about opposition. 
And it talks about how before them, there were individuals, King David in this messianic psalm, quoting Psalm chapter two, verses one and two, that, that they're connecting King David to being a man who came under persecution and who was an echo of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to, in the future, experience tremendous persecution because of this. And you know what's great about it? Is that it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it silences them. It, it doesn't mean that that means that they crawled under a hole and they, they just gave up. Instead, what these individuals are doing in this, this masterful prayer is that they're declaring glory to the Lord and then they're reminding themselves of their heritage. This is important for us to do today. It's important for us to understand that the expectations that we have of life can be a great gift to us or it can be a horrific detriment to us today. The second point, the first point this morning is that we're stronger together. The second point this morning that I want to remind you is strength is rooted in accurate expectations. We have to expect as Christ followers that we can expect a difficult path ahead for us, not just in these circumstances, but this is a promise that God gave us in his word. But thankfully, he has given us what it means. It means for given us what we need to be resilient through the painful experiences ahead. One, one person put it this way. They said that God doesn't prepare the path ahead of us for us. He doesn't go ahead of us and remove the rocks and make sure all of the challenges ahead of us are going to be perfect. Like a, like a good parent, what God does is he prepares us to have the capability to manage the path. Do you understand the difference between those two? He doesn't make the path easy all of the time for us. Sometimes he does, but most of the time he equips us for what it means for us to be successful. In the text here, what we see is this echo back to a time in history when God was glorified, even in the midst of those who would attack and persecute and to attempt to get in the way of God's will. There's a word that's troubling for some, but that's super important here. And that is that, that God was sovereign in that. So even in the pain that God was sovereign in the midst of this time period. That's a, a concept for us that's difficult to understand. In fact, we can kind of become fatalistic. If God knew this painful thing was gonna happen, why didn't he fix it or why didn't he stop it? But to understand, especially these early believers got it, that pain did not mean God had left his blessing, but what it meant was that he understood that this is what had to happen, like birth pains, that this is what had to happen in order to experience the next thing that was God was going to do in order to bring himself glory in the world, to fulfill his plan. So the messianic promises of Christ, even the prediction of the death of Christ was not outside of God's sovereignty. I have news for you that the crisis of COVID-19, the pandemic is not outside of God's sovereignty. That does not give him blame for it. But what it means is that his promise to you that his divine power has given you everything that you need for life and for godliness through your knowledge of him who called you for his own glory and goodness is a promise that did not waver from two months ago until now. That it's a promise of who he has said that he is, that he's sovereign that he's working out his mission for us. 
But for some of us, I think that we get so caught up in our expectations. And, and the, the painful thing is that for, for many of us, uh, my life has been filled with blessing. In fact, it's been so filled with blessing that, that when the new year turned this year, I had nothing but to think that God was going to continue to make my life blessed. And, and, and I can't stand back and look at what these last several months have been and say that they've been easy, but it doesn't mean that they stop ever being blessed by God. It's funny, on a, on a mission trip, I, I did two mission trips in one summer. And one of them had the worst accommodations of any missions trip I've ever been on. That was the one that I led, by the way. Uh, the other missions trip was led by another leader, and I went with one of my daughters. And, and the accommodations were probably the best that I'd ever had on a missions trip. And in the pre-trip training on the trip that I led, the one with accommodations, I'll just give you a hint, like we, we were in tents, there's no electricity, you had to walk forever to get to the bathrooms, they... It was really public. It was uncomfortable. No, the, it, was, it was bad. Uh, but, but what happened in the preparation process is that I, I warned our team members, it's going to be rough. It's probably going to be the worst accommodations that you've uh, slept in in a long time. And, and after the missions trip, it was beautiful. And, and during the missions trip, now maybe they were just being nice to me, but, but I never heard a complaint one time. And they were as bad as advertised. But they went into it with the expectation that it was going to be difficult. And you can tolerate a lot when you expect that it's going to be difficult. The irony of the other missions trip is that I remember in the training, the team leader, which I actually helped to arrange the accommodations, but I heard the team leader say to the team, these accommodations are going to be amazing. The air conditioning is going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. And, and he went on, and as he's saying it, I'm getting nervous. Because what ended up happening was that the accommodations just weren't quite as good as what was expected. Now, there was air conditioning. There was electricity. There was, there was so many things that were different than the other trip. But the expectations going into it were different. And, and, and I bring this up because I, I believe somehow we might have allowed ourselves to have expectations that things might just be a little easier in these days than what they were going to be. And I want to remind you from the truth of God's word, when we look back in history, that, that these individuals that, that made it through this time were able to adjust their expectations appropriately. And their expectations were actually that they were going to suffer. Their expectations were actually that they were going to join into the suffering of other believers that had gone before them. Even the example of the Lord Jesus Christ that would show his love to the point of death, even death on the cross. That they understood this. And this is a part of why this prayer, this ground wire for them is so important. That when they experience this painful experience, they're able to say, wait a second. We have what it means for us to get through this. So, so we could say it like this. They expected to be treated no differently than those who had gone before them who were treated and how they were treated because of their faith, like David, like Jesus. And these threats did not silence them. I love how they responded to this situation. They did, they did not pray. Do you notice this in the text? They didn't pray for judgment for their persecutors. They didn't even pray for freedom from the persecution. But in the text, what we see is they actually pray for strength. And they pray for enablement to bring glory to God amidst their persecution. Can you pray that way? 
I, I think you can, but have you prayed that way? Lord, let me be a light. Let me be used in this way. Let me do something in the midst of this that's not just reactive, but to be proactive in the midst of this. I, I like the, the way that Romans 12, 18 puts it. It says, live peaceably with all as long as it depends on you. And I think that's really what they're saying. Like, like our part of this equation, we're going to keep being faithful to what God's asked us to be and to do. And we're going to do that in a way that hopefully brings honor and glory to God. So their number one priority that we see in the text was to continue to declare the message of the Lord of hope to a needy world. It's, it's intriguing that this word sovereignty shows up in this section. It shows up a couple of times, predestined, sovereign. Uh, those words don't take away responsibility for those who did this evil. But what it says is that God is faithful and that he's in control. Sovereignty understood biblically is God's working out the hidden mystery behind his eternal divine knowledge. It's a cause for assurance and hope, not fear. It also doesn't negate our responsibility for the decisions that were made. And these individuals are named as those who are part of, of opposing the gospel. I love in the chapter before, or verses before this, that all these individuals in the Sanhedrin were named. And in some ways it's to their shame because they were in opposition of what God was going to do. I love the way that Warren Wearsby uh, communicates truth. And one of the statements that he talks about this prayer in particular, he says, they saw prayer not as an escape from responsibility, but as a response to God's ability. True prayer energizes us for service and battle. Isn't that beautiful? That, that their prayer is one that's really energizing them for what's next. And their declaration is, Lord, make us bold. The, that, that Greek word, we're going to see it a couple times in the text, the boldness statement, actually, it, it, is, it is one that describes freedom of speech. It's declaration of truth. The, the most important thing about me is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to declare that. The place that I find hope is in the gospel. I want to be unashamed in my declaration of that truth. Prayer is not an escape from responsibility. They're not hiding here. It is our response to God's ability. True prayer energizes us for service and for battle. I want to talk about community again in a way with saying that we're stronger together, that, that like in our weekly prayer meetings, I leave there on Wednesday night when we're done, uh, so encouraged. I'm so encouraged because I'm not standing alone. I, I recognize that I'm not isolated at all, actually. Even even in the midst of a time of great isolation, because I can stand together with my brothers and sisters. Some of you desperately need that. And that, that declaration of prayer means that we're submitting to the truth of God's word, his leadership in our life, and we're joining together to say, these circumstances will not break us. They may bend us a bit. They may strengthen us. They may challenge us, but they will not break us. I, 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 this leads to the third point this morning that I think is helpful and I hope is essential for you. That, that it's fascinating to me that God often uses the small things to send a big message about his faithfulness. Pick back up with me in verse 29. 
says this, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. If you notice this prayer, if you get a chance to study this later, you'll, you'll see that they began with this affirmation of God's goodness. Then they transition into uh, praying scripture. And now they, they have this bold ask. And this bold ask that they ask is, Lord, use us in a special way. While, verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and your signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We don't know if that was an earthquake. Uh, we don't know what that meant when it said shaken. But, but I'll just share with you what I, I like to think about is that that moment right there, if, if it was an earthquake, if it, you know, recorded earlier, we saw two different times where there were earthquakes, right at the point when when the Lord Jesus died and the temple curtain was torn in two. And then at Pentecost, it talks about an earthquake. And, and I have a feeling kind of like that tree earlier, that there was this moment when this happened, that they were just reminded that God's good. And it might seem weird that it's an earthquake. My wife was sweet yesterday in the prayer time. She was a couple of days ago in the prayer time. She said uh, something along the lines of, we're not asking God for more earthquakes. Um, maybe that's because we lived in California, but what, what her point or what the point is here is that I think that they were just reminded of the fact that God is faithful. And it was something small. God can use so many things. It can be a passage of scripture. It can be a friend that makes a phone call that you didn't expect. It can be um, a, a genuine kind statement from somebody who's a complete stranger. I've had one recently where I was on a bike path uh, exercising with my kid and we went one direction and we don't usually go that direction and we ran into somebody that we just needed to run into and and you just kind of afterwards you just find yourself sitting back and you're thinking God cares about which direction I go on the bike path yeah actually I think he does and I think he wants to remind me consistently that he's intimately involved in the details of our life so so they get this this shaking that early church father Christostom said it like this. He says, the place was shaken and that made them all the more unshaken. Like they were reminded of his goodness. They, they were reminded that he was at work, that, that the God who created the universe was still working on their behalf. It was awesome. You know, God gives us these constant little reminders of his faithfulness. He's good at reminding us. I, I'm convinced though that I'm not that great at noticing them. And I want to ask you to join me in praying, Lord, can we see your hand at work when it's at work? Can we remind ourselves that you're faithful to us? Like the early church, we can ask God. Now, I want you to catch this. We can ask God to have the privilege of being one of those small things that God uses to communicate his love to other people it is so humbling to me. So when they say, we pray, God, for freedom of speech, for boldness, for the confidence to declare your goodness. They're actually asking to be one of those small things that God's going to use to bring to other people a reminder of his truth. I've shared this with you before, that when I encounter someone, especially someone in crisis, that the prayer that's going through my mind is, Lord, let me represent the love of Christ to this person. 
Let me represent your truth to them. Can I embody what you would say to this person? And often what that means is that scripture has to be the foundation of that. I love that in this text that, that really a majority of their prayer was them praying back to God his word, right? A, a majority of their prayer is saying, God, you spoke this truth to us and, and we've studied it. We've even connected this ancient psalm to to our experiences today, and it's strengthening us. And I, and I think that that's extremely appropriate for us as we pray. It's extremely appropriate for us as we anticipate the privilege of maybe being one of those small reminders to a world that desperately needs it, that their God that created them loves them, that he hasn't forgotten them, that he's sovereign, that his sovereign grace remains in their life and that they can truly experience hope. I want to challenge you in a couple of ways as we try to apply this truth to our lives. The first is, I want to ask you personally, how is God communicating his ongoing faithfulness to you? And the, the follow-up of that is, are you listening? How, how is he communicating? For some, you've shared with me that you've seen things in your kids that that you had never experienced before through all of this, or that you have a distant family member that actually through crisis has found themselves having to depend on the Lord in different ways. I don't, I don't know how you found his faithfulness, but, but would you, would you be able to pause even, even in the sunrise and a sunset and we, we say in God's word, he tells us that, that we ought to look at the birds and be reminded of the fact that he cares for them, that we ought to look at the flowers as they spring up around us and see that the Lord clothes them, that he cares about them, that he's at work in creation, that, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's his promise to us. The second challenge, I, I keep saying it, I'm gonna keep saying it because it's so important for us and our church family needs to hear this. We need to be people right now that have both courage and have compassion. And we live in a world that desperately needs both of those. And so as we approach that courage and compassion, one of the things that we need to do is to have a voice right now. We cannot be silenced. We cannot be ashamed. We don't take that lamp that's lighted and hide it right now, but we show it, we declare it. And that means that we're careful about what we do and don't communicate to a world that needs to hear a message of hope. So the question there is, who's God asking you to pursue today? Will you ask the Lord for the boldness to pursue them even today? Now that's my prayer. I hope that's your prayer as well. And then the third one, I really believe that there's something that could be freeing for many of us today in this. And that is, are there any dangerous and unmerited expectations that are hindering you from finding joy in the Lord today? Are, are you holding on to something that you felt like was your right, your entitlement, your expectation? And is God asking you to say, yeah, that's, that's not going to be it today. It's going to be different, but it doesn't mean that the different is bad, that that expectation that you had was never my expectation. It was always yours. I want to encourage you to be willing to let those expectations go. Think that the image of a bent tree, a, a tree at one time that was barren, that looked like it was dead, is one that reminds me that even in the midst of the wind and the storms and, 
everything that throws at it, that it can thrive in the midst of it. In fact, if you took away all of this stuff, it would actually probably never become what it was intended to be. Can you believe that that's what God wants to communicate to you this morning? That this storm that you're going through is something that God can still work through. And I will remind you of these powerful words, friends, that his divine power has given you everything that you need for life and for godliness through your knowledge of him who called you. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and just find so much encouragement in knowing that we are not the first people in history that have had disappointments, that have had things that could have been deeply discouraging, that have had life or death situations surrounding them. And yet, Lord, that, that believers before us have been able to go through it first and foremost, the Lord Jesus Christ, that that looked at death and even in the moment of hanging on the cross, looked around him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That, that chose to take the cup of death that was horrifying, but was, was willing to do so in order to seek and to save that which was lost. There's, there's probably some people that are hearing this message today that maybe today, maybe for the first time, need to just say, Lord, I, I trust you. I need you. Um, Lord, I want to submit to your will in my life. That I'm tired of, of trying to hold on to my resentments, my expectations, those things that have isolated me. And I'm ready to first and foremost join you in what you're doing. To accept that you're in the driver's seat, not me. And, and then in following up from that, Lord, for those who are isolated, would they stop blaming the pursuers or the lack of pursuers in their life? And would they be mature and humble enough to start to pursue? And I believe that the deceiver wants to just tell them that they're not worthy, that no one wants them. Would they be able to get through that and to recognize that they have something that's precious, something that is so valuable, like the disciples said, that they wanted to turn up the volume on it to allow that truth to be heard so clearly. We love you. We thank you for your word. And as we now transition into a closing time of worship, we are grateful for the Culbrins and for the worship team as they take us to this throne of grace. And we're, we're thankful for, for our moms today that we recognize that this day, um, like, like little Capri said earlier, that this is a, a very unusual Mother's Day. Um, but Lord, we, we want to thank you for the fact that, um, that you have blessed us with some, some amazing mothers. We pray that they would have been honored today and that they would feel loved. And Lord, I thank you that you are our good, good father. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.